Good evening, everybody. I, um, I know you're looking for some updates on all that's transpiring in the nation. And uh, quite frankly, I'm getting a little tired of it, so I'm going to take a break tonight. If that disappoints you, there's uh, plenty of things you can find on YouTube. And you can go to, like I've been saying in, in previous um, episodes, that you can go and check out Charlie Kirk. He's been covering it every night in great extensive insights, and uh, it's all there. So you can go and tune into that. I want to take a break because today's significant in two ways. Uh, number one is um, on the 11th day of the 11th month of the 11th year at the 11th hour, the armistice was signed to end what was to be called the war to end all wars. And that was World War I. And that became Veterans Day. And so today is Veterans Day and we wanted to pay tribute to our veterans uh, Veterans Day is different than Memorial Day. Memorial Day, obviously, we memorial, memorialize those that have died uh, in combat and um, soldiers who have fallen. But Veterans Day is to say thank you to all those who served. Um, millions have served, uh, and, and yet every day we tend to forget the sacrifice. And what is this sacrifice, and what does it mean? And so we're going to cover that, but more importantly... We're going to take a look at uh, another significant aspect of today, 11-11-2020. Uh, uh, today happens to be the 400th anniversary of the Mayflower Compact, which is the very first political compact on uh, American soil that established this nation. And uh, I wanted to show you a picture. It, it, I'll show it to you momentarily, but... The Mayflower Compact, it was interesting, there were uh, about 102 pilgrims uh, that had, a, had been able to survive the treacherous journey from England to the New World, uh, excuse me, from Europe to the New World. And uh, they were supposed to go to the Jamestown Colony in Virginia, and they had signed up to do that, but they were blown 500 miles off course, which was serendipitous because uh, it required that they were under no authority, no king to govern them, the territory where the Mayflower ended up. As you can see in the slide that I have uh, clipped to, this is where they ended up. Uh, this is Massachusetts, and uh, they were 500 miles off course. They had missed Jamestown. Uh, Jamestown had been founded 14 years earlier, and these folks arrived there. And they have no form of government, so they created their own, and it was called the Mayflower Compact. Uh, they disembarked in Massachusetts. They didn't know what to do. There was no government to submit to, uh, so they created their own. And this Mayflower Compact, I'll show you momentarily, uh, they signed it on November 11th of 1620. However, that would be considered the old calendar. The new calendar would say November 21st. But for all intents and purposes, on the document itself, it says November 11th, and uh, there were three types of colonies uh, back then. You had uh, company charters, royal crowns, and proprietary colonies, and I don't want to go into great detail, but suffice it to say, the journey the, that blew them 500 miles off course going uh, to Jamestown, and they end up in Massachusetts, uh, the journey was treacherous, as you can kind of see here depicted by an artist, and as they got to the New World, they sat down and they wrote out this Mayflower Compact to uh, establish uh, this governance. And 
you're going to see as I switch in a moment to the next slide, uh, of the 102 pilgrims that uh, arrived, 47 only survived till the spring and less than a half dozen were even able to care for those that were still living. Uh, they were all sick. They uh, were Im impoverished. Uh, sickness had, had just wreaked havoc on the colonists. And, uh, and so they found themselves under this new form of government. And this is, this is the, the government that they established for themselves. So take a look at the words. They're fascinating. Very first article in the sense of incorporation for a group of people that would consider themselves under a government that had nothing to do with all of the others that they had thus far participated in. And, and look what they wrote so you understand how America was founded. Here are the words of the Mayflower Compact. In the name of God, amen, we whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord King James by the grace of God and company, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith, in the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid and by virtue hereof do enact, constitute and frame such just and equal laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions and officers from time to time as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony unto which we promise all due submission. And they, they set up this government under uh, that auspice for the promulgating of the Christian faith and to make Christ king and to declare that. Uh, they had a rough go of it. Uh, by November of, uh, after November 11th of 1620, as I said earlier, of the 102, only 47 survived and six were left to care for them. And they were in poor straits. Uh, another ship showed up the following year and they were hoping that they'd bring supplies. They didn't bring supplies. They just brought more hungry folks. Uh, the following year, a drought would ensue. And as they were struggling through that winter, uh, trying to figure out what to do with themselves, <laughs> on the beach walks uh, an American native um, whose name was Squanto. And uh, Governor William Bradford described Squanto as a special instrument, son of God, for their good beyond their expectation. Uh, the settlers began to plant their corn in which Squanto stood them in good stead, showing them how to plant it and cultivate it. He also told them that unless they got fish to manure this exhausted old soil, it would come to nothing. In the middle of April, plenty of fish would come up the brook, and he taught them how to catch them and then to put one of the fish with the seeds so that it would create the manure necessary for uh, the ground to be nutrient enough to grow the crop. This man saved the entire colony. Fascinatingly enough, Squanto spoke English. Not just English, the king's English. His entire tribe had been wiped out. You wonder, how does a, uh, an American Indian speak the king's English? Uh, the book that I showed you, The Miracle of Thanksgiving, is one that you should purchase by Eric Metaxas. It's a fascinating study on the life of this individual. Here is a brief description. I just pulled it off of Amazon. It's the historical story shows that the actual hero of Thanksgiving was neither white nor Indian, but God. In 1608, English traders came to Massachusetts, captured a 12-year-old Indian. Squanto sold him into slavery. He was raised by Christians and taught faith in God. Ten years later, he was sent home to America. 
Upon arrival, he learned an epidemic had wiped out his entire village, but God had plans for Squanto. God delivered a Thanksgiving miracle, an English-speaking Indian living in the exact place where the pilgrims landed in the strange new world. So, uh, divine providence, these are things that we don't teach our children anymore. We try to do the 1619 Project, Revisionist History, uh, to make America to seem awful, which is the best way to take away liberty is to divide the citizenry and to realize that these men and women came seeking religious freedom. They came seeking the freedom of, of their, their faith and the ability to worship freely. And to find Squanto, who had actually been raised by, by Catholic monks in Spain, uh, they, they felt so sorry for him that they sent him to England. And there weren't ships going to the New World. It would be like, get the next space shuttle going to somewhere. They just don't go that often. And he was given passage, arrived, and as you heard in the opening of that portion of the description of the story, that his entire village was wiped out. He became friends with other villagers, but he still understood the land. He understood the ground, and he was the one to allow these Christians to survive. And it was divine providence, as William Bradford would describe in his journals of this individual Squanto. And I share all this with you because here we are in a critical juncture in our nation's history where we're watching two factions, and one is attempting to take away um, the freedom of mankind, over 70 million Americans, by deception and and theft. And, and is it worth fighting for? Is it worth defending? We're watching as 75% of the over 70 million Americans who voted are, are now at a point where uh, they just don't believe that any of that was fair. Uh, we're having mounting evidence and, and we've covered it. And I don't want to go through it. I just want to take a minute to celebrate America, to let you know that all of those veterans who have defended our liberties for the 244-year history of our nation did so so that we today could continue that fight for generations to come. We had a, a, a profound founding, and, and you, can, you can study the history of our nation, which has been removed primarily from our schools because we don't want anyone to know about our past because that way they can redefine our identity and yet as Americans, it's not based on the color of our skin or what portion of the world we came from. The beauty of America is it's an idea. And we do not, in that idea, pit one another against each other based on immutable traits. And so this nation conceived in liberty and dedicated that proposition that all men are created equal came from this foundation of an understanding of Christian principles that were created in the image of God. And these rights don't come from man, they come from God. From its very foundation to where we are today, and we can study the entirety of the history, but suffice it to say, today is the 400-year anniversary of the Mayflower Compact. In addition, it's Veterans Day. Now, why is that significant? I wanted to read to you, and then I'll tie it in with Veterans Day so you understand where I'm going with this. But as previous presidents considered uh, the Mayflower Compact, and then as it would obviously with Squanto go into our Thanksgiving celebration and the two would be combined. But with the signing of the Mayflower Compact, as presidents look back at our nation's history, uh, on October 28, 1961, John F. Kennedy wrote these words in reflecting on the pilgrims and what occurred there in Plymouth. He said, more than three centuries ago, the pilgrims, after a year of hardship and peril, humbly and reverently set aside a special day upon which to give thanks to God for their preservation 
and for the good harvest from the virgin soil upon which they had labored. Grave and unknown dangers remained, yet their faith and by their toil they had survived the rigors of a harsh New England winter. Hence they paused in their labors to give thanks for the blessings that had been bestowed upon them by divine providence. We give thanks for the heritage of liberty bequeathed by our ancestors, which we are privileged to preserve to our children and our children's children. I ask the head of each family to recount his children the story of the first New England Thanksgiving. When have you had a president want us to do that? I ask, and he says, thus to impress upon future generations the heritage of this nation born in toil, in danger, in purpose, and in the conviction that right and justice and freedom can through man's efforts persevere and come to fruition with the blessings of God. Another pilgrim story overlooked occurred in 1625. The pilgrims filled two ships with dried fish and beaver skins and sent them back to the merchant adventurers in England to trade for more needed supplies. And William Bradford recorded that. He said, um, they shook off the yoke of anti-Christian bondage and ye Lord's free people joined themselves by a covenant of the Lord into a church estate and ye fellowship of ye gospel to walk in all his ways made known or to be made known unto them according to their best endeavors whatsoever it should cost them the Lord assisting them. On November 12th, the first full day of the new world, Governor Bradford described the pilgrim's thankfulness. Being thus arrived in a good harbor and brought safe to land, they fell upon their knees and blessed the God of heaven who had brought them over the vast and furious ocean and delivered them from all the perils and miseries thereof. Again, to set their feet on the firm and stable earth, their proper element. Pilgrim elder William Brewster commented, and I like this, the church that had been brought over the ocean now saw another church the firstborn in America, holding the same faith and the same simplicity of self-government under Christ alone. Now, these, uh, these pilgrims, they struggled. They didn't really know how to govern themselves. The Plymouth, Pla uh, the Plymouth Plantation was originally a company colony, having obtained a land patent from the Virginia Company of London, the company bylaws were drawn up by investors and called adventurers who loaned money to the pilgrim's trip. They expected to be paid back with profit. The bylaws set up a communal system for the first seven years in which all capital profits remained in common stock. So kind of like communal communism, everyone's equal, equal shares, equal outcome, equal everything. The adventurers and planters uh, do agree that every person that goeth being aged 16 years and upward be accounted a single share, equal distribution. The persons tra transported in the adventurers shall continue their joint stock and partnership together for a space of seven years, during which time all profits and benefits that are not by trade, traffic, trucking, working, fishing, and when they mean trucking, they mean transportation. Um, other means by any persons remain still in common stock that all such persons are of this colony are to have their meat, drink, apparel, and provisions of common stock and goods. And that ye end the seven years in capital and profits, the houses, lands, goods, cattle, uh, be equally divided amongst the adventurers and the planters. 
Pilgrim Governor William Bradford described in of Plymouth Plantation that the sharing of all profits and benefits in the common stock, regardless of how hard each individual worked, was a failure. They even knew back then that we don't want what they're trying to give us now. It was a failure. The failure of that experiment of communal service, which was tied, uh, tried for several years and by good and honest men proves the emptiness of the theory of Plato and other ancients applauded by some of later times that the taking away of private property and the possession of it in community by commonwealth would make a state happy and flourishing as, it, they, as if they were wiser than God. For in this instance, uh, the community property was found to breed much confusion and discontent and retard much employment, which would have been to the general benefit. For the young men who were most able and fit for service objected to being forced to spend their time and strength in working for other men's wives and children without any recompense. William Bradford went on, he said, the strong man or the resourceful man had no share of food, clothes, etc., that the weak man who was not able to do a quarter of the other could this was thought injustice. The aged and graver man who were ranked and equalized in labor, food, clothes, etc., with the humbler and younger ones thought it some indignity and disrespect to them. As for men's wives who were obliged to do service for other men, such as cooking, washing their clothes, they considered it a kind of slavery. And many husbands would not brook it. Bradford explained that the communistic plan of redistribution of wealth failed. He wrote, if all were to share alike and all were to do alike, then all were on an equality throughout and one was as good as another. And so if it did not actually abolish those very relations which God himself had set among men, it did at least greatly diminish the mutual respect that is so important should be preserved amongst them. Let none argue that this is due to human failing rather than to this communistic plan of life itself. Bradford described individual capitalism, and this is what he said. I answer seeing that all men have this failing in them, that God in his wisdom saw that another plan of life was fitter for them. So they began to consider how to raise more corn and obtain a better crop than they had done, so that they might not continue to endure the misery of want. At length, after much debate, the governor, with the advice of the chief among them, allowed each man to plant corn for his own household. So every family was assigned a parcel of land according to the proportion of their number. This was very successful. It made all hands very industrious so that much corn was planted than otherwise would have been by any means the governor or any other could devise and saved him in a, a great deal of trouble and gave far better satisfaction. The women now went willingly into the field and took their little ones with them to plant corn while before they would allege weakness and inability and to have compelled them would have been thought great tyranny and oppression. So we even tried the, the socialism, communism method when we began this nation. Here we are 400 years later and we see folks wanting to steal it and take it and distribute it. Well, that's not what America is about. America is individualism. We're accountable to God, accountable to each other. That's the whole purpose of America. And so when we celebrate Veterans Day, that 
recognizes those men and women who have defended our liberties and our freedom to be able to own property, the the freedom to be able to flourish, the freedom to be able to worship our God without constraint. We're grateful to them. But why would we take away from the sacrifice of millions of veterans who have defended that freedom and here we are at a precip in American history where that is in question. We're about to rewrite everything America has stood for for over 244 years. And we can keep lamenting over everything that's taking place, but the question is, how valuable is liberty to us? I, I want to first of all say thank you uh, to our veterans, and I'm going to give you a tribute. And I I, do we have two videos, Micah? Yeah? I want to show you the first video, and both of them are by uh, Ronald Reagan. The first one is his Veterans Day speech when, like, presidents uh, after him and before him have always laid a wreath at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. They do that on Memorial Day and Veterans Day. And um, Ronald Reagan gave this speech on Veterans Day, and I want you to take a look at it. Here it is. A few moments ago, I placed a wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier. And as I stepped back and stood during the moment of silence that followed, I said a small prayer. And it occurred to me that each of my predecessors has had a similar moment. And I wondered if our prayers weren't very much the same, if not identical. We celebrate Veterans Day on the anniversary of the armistice that ended World War I. The armistice that began on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. And I wonder, in fact, if all Americans' prayers aren't the same as those I mentioned a moment ago. For all we can ever do for our heroes is remember them and remember what they did. And memories are transmitted through words. We see these soldiers in our mind as old and wise. We see them as something like the founding fathers, grave and gray-haired. But most of them were boys when they died, and they gave up two lives, the one they were living and the one they would have lived. When they died, they gave up their chance to be husbands and fathers and grandfathers. They gave up their chance to be revered old men. They gave up everything for our country, for us. And all we can do is remember. There's always someone who is remembering for us. No matter what time of year it is or what time of day, there are always people who come to this cemetery, leave a flag or a flower or a little rock on a headstone. And they stop and bow their heads and communicate what they wished to communicate. I think sometimes of General Matthew Ridgway, who, the night before D-Day, tossed sleepless on his cot and talked to the Lord and listened for the promise that God made to Joshua. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. We are surrounded today by the dead of our wars. We owe them a debt we can never repay. All we can do is remember them and what they did and why they had to be brave for us. All we can do is try to see that other young men never 
have to join them. Today as never before, we must pledge to remember the things that will continue the peace. Today as never before, we must pray for God's help in broadening and deepening the peace we enjoy. Let us pray for freedom and justice and a more stable world. And let us make a compact today with the dead. A promise in the words for which General Ridgway listened, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. a young boy growing up in Coronado, California, as we would have the Pearl Harbor survivors on the 4th of July parade, they would come through and there would be a mass of them. And as a young boy, we were always so bored because we just saw older men walking through in Hawaiian shirts with hats that seemed similar. And they just kept going and going and going. And we wanted the clowns and we wanted the uh, the military equipment and the things that were fun for young boys to watch. And we saw these elderly men and we wanted them to walk faster. As I got older, the numbers began to decrease. My father one time turned to me in a 4th of July parade, and he said, I remember when I was bored, too, watching the Civil War veterans go across as a young boy. He said, and I remember also realizing and seeing uh, the World War I veterans. He said, they're going to dwindle. And I, I think we're hard-pressed today to find many uh, World War II veterans. We have some in our church, and... Uh, they're, they're not old, they're older, but they are young in their, uh, their heart. They're amazing. But yet, time continues to move on. Eternity awaits us all. We have an accounting to give to God. What is it that they fought for? What is it that we stand for? It's appointed once for a man to die, then judgment. Whether you believe in God or you don't, the reality is it doesn't matter. You will stand before him and you'll give an accounting of your life. We're breathing his air, living on his dirt, drinking his water and eating his food. And we're to live by his rules. He's a good God. He wants mankind to flourish because we've been created in his image. And there's so much that mankind can accomplish when we're given liberty and freedom. But those aspects we have to contend for because the sin nature of man is to oppress another human being. Make them work for us. We don't understand the laws of nature and nature's God. We abandon God and we're left in chaos. If we can't get what we want, we burn it down. There is a group of human beings that would rather burn the city and rule its ashes to retain power than to ever yield to the freedom of mankind. And here we have an idea which is America and it's being contended for and it's under a great threat. And it's good to come back and remember what millions of men and women have defended for the life of the longest living nation in the history of the world. There's no other nation that's ever survived as long as we have under one article of incorporation, the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution. 244 years without a change of government. And now we're coming to a place where we're questioning that we're here tonight and we gather every night 
in this place to pray. And as soon as this live stream is over, we begin to pray. Folks have gathered in the sanctuary to pray. We're asking God to have mercy on this nation. This is a nation that is conceived in an idea. That we are, we are wholly devoted. That when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people at any time, at any place in history, that we would break away from a tyrant who would put his thumb on the freedom of man. Because we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and down by their creator with these inalienable rights. Among those, and there are more, but among those being life and liberty and the pursuit of virtue or happiness. Faith, virtue, and freedom is the only hope for a constitutional republic that only a moral people can govern a republic. If we abandon God, we lose the entire fabric and foundation that was established 400 years ago today. There's no way to accomplish what we're going to do without an awakening and a revival. And if you think that you can accomplish this by your sheer political effort, you will fail like every government before. And no matter how powerful you are, you will end up in the ash heap of history as those who thought they could rule other, over other human beings. You see, God wants us to turn to him. And this is a critical time. This is about freedom. Liberty comes from God. Liberty is doing what's right. Freedom is having choices. And if we're going to have those, we have to contend to do what's right. You can't be apathetic and you can't be absent. You can't be complacent. And you can't use your theology to justify that you are absent without leave. So, if we're going to thank our veterans, let's do it by preserving the nation they stood to defend. Make it a place worth defending. In addition, on this, the 400th anniversary of the very first political compact that would sow the seeds and place the foundation for a nation never before obtained in the history of the world where the greatest freedom and accomplishments have done, been done by 3% of the world's population right here in America. More patents, more Nobel Peace Prize winners, more symphonies. Every great invention, America. And that's because we have freedom. But that freedom only comes when we exercise that liberty and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. It's time to return to church. And if your church isn't open, find another church because that pastor needs to understand liberty as well. The church is essential. Open your church. This is what America is about. Where are the shepherds? It's time to open. Guide your people. Instruct them on these truths. This is a nation worth living for. For many have already died for it. It's time we live to defend it. I want to say thank you to all of our veterans for preserving our liberty. And uh, before I do the Lord's blessing, I have one more video and it's Reagan again. I just can't help it. I, I love the man. Uh, very first president I ever voted for. I was inspired by him. I, I, he just had such an understanding of American history and he was very studied. They always called him stupid. He was anything but stupid. He was a brilliant man. A lot of folks don't know he wore Coke bottle thick glasses but he was continually reading and absorbing facts. And he was one of the most eloquent speakers in the history of our nation. 
And he encapsulated the concept of liberty and freedom. And I wanted you to hear it. And it's done with some pictures and it's a video. And at the end, I will pray for us and read the blessing. So take a look at the video. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. Each one of those markers is a monument to the kind of hero I spoke of earlier. Their lives ended in places called Bellow Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Pork Chop Hill, the Chosin Reservoir, and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place called Vietnam. Under one such marker lies a young man, Martin Treptow, who left his job in a small town barber shop in 1917 to go to France with the famed Rainbow Division. There on the Western Front, he was killed trying to carry a message between battalions under heavy artillery fire. We're told that on his body was found a diary. On the flyleaf, under the heading, My Pledge, he had written these words. America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. It is a weapon our adversaries in today's world do not have. It is a weapon that we as Americans do have. Let that be understood by those who practice terrorism and prey upon their neighbors. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. So, there you go. Uh, I, I can't think of a better way to say thank you to our veterans who have defended this great nation and have stood willingly. We're grateful to you. 
And um, we're a blessed nation because of you. And as that nation, we want it to be one that is worthy to defend. And so as Christians, we, we stand on that 400-year anniversary of the Mayflower Compact. And we, we commit to that. And we'll continue to. And so this is a, a blessing for all of you on the 400th anniversary of the Mayflower Compact and also on this Veterans Day. Make sure to say thank you to every veteran you see. And to all the veterans out there, tonight's blessing is for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you and may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So I know you thought it was an election update, but it's better than that. It's a reason why we're doing what we're doing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll see you tomorrow night. I'm headed uh, to uh, Washington, D.C. for the Council on National Policy. So I'll be coming to you from there tomorrow night. Uh, but we'll be praying here. So God bless you all. And I'll see you tomorrow night.